Good to see you, all the smiling faces. All right. If you're the kind of person who believes in luck, whether good or bad, this sermon is for you. If you're the kind of person who has not made up his mind yet, if things happen by design or by accident, then I want to speak with you. If you have a habit of knocking on wood, crossing your fingers, avoiding 13 floors, and blowing your birthday candles and making a wish, then definitely I want to speak with you. If you believe that all your successes and achievements is all because of your hard work and nothing to do with God, then please consider this sermon. Coincidence means random luck. Providence means God is in control and things happen by design. We get this understanding from the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Things happen because God is in control. Now, I, I don't want to ask you to say amen to that yet because we're going to go through the sermon and study together. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 23, David was on the run. We all know the story of David. He was on the run because Saul was pursuing him. Saul doesn't want him to be king. Saul's preventing him from getting to the throne. But behind the scenes between Saul and David, God is the one who is really in charge. David will be king. Now, God could easily terminate or eliminate Saul, but he did not. Why? Because David was not yet ready at this point. Which means, at this point, Saul was acting in opposition to God's will. It was not God's will for him to be king, but then he was trying to kill the Lord's anointed. So for the meantime, God provided scape routes and allies to David and make sure that David is in safekeeping. Now, God has a plan. And we know the big picture. The big picture is that David someday will be king. But at this point, he's not yet ready. But what we don't know is that the details of God's plan. What are the details of God's plan? What are, what's going to happen tomorrow? Those things we don't know yet. Now, last week's story was the horrific massacre of the 85 priests and the massacre of the whole town of Nob. The scripture said that Saul ordered the murder of men, women, children, infant, sheep, donkeys, anything that breeds. Now, I want to tie this up to an earlier story. If, if you might ask, why did this happen? If you believe in coincidence, you will just say, bad luck. But if you believe that God has something to do with it, you will say, why did God allow this to happen? So I want to tie this up to an earlier story because I think this will answer the story of the massacre of Nob. When the Israelites in the earlier story of the book of Samuel asked God for a king, they obviously know that it was not God's will. It was against God's will to, for them to ask for a king. Why? Because God is already king. And so in the language of the Bible, asking God for a king means rejection or rebellion. In today's language, we call it mutiny or treason. The fancy word for that is coup d'etat, right? But the, but the nation of Israel insisted they wanted to have their own king. That means we don't want you, God, as king. See, even against God's will, God gave them what they insisted for. 
God gave in to their demands and gave them a king. Now, funny thing here is this. Because the Hebrew word for desire is Shaul. So God gave in to their desire, Shaul, and gave them a literal king whose name is Shaul. Does it make sense? Now, what, what is clear here is that this episode, this episode of the murder and massacre of the whole town of Nob and the massacre and killing of the 85 priests is the answer to the consequence of their prayer. Because when God told them that if they ask for a king, there will be a consequence. And the consequence is that the king will abuse his authority and power and will be like Pharaoh, will have authority over their very lives. And even though they know about this, they still insisted on having a king. And so the massacre of the town of Nob was a direct consequence of their disregard for the king, Yahweh's king. At the end of chapter 22, there was one priest who was able to escape. Question is, is it luck? Or is it coincidence? Or is it providence? His name is Abiathar. Abiathar was carrying one item that is considered to be the most important for a priest, an ephod. What is an ephod? An ephod is a priestly vestment that, is, that can only be worn by a priest. And among all the 86 priests that were wearing an ephod, Abiathar was carrying something very special along in his chest pocket. It's called the Urim and the Tumim. See, the Israelites are not allowed to do divination. But there, there is one tool that God has given the Israelites to, in, for them to be able to consult with God. It's called the Urim and the Tumim. It's just two stones, black and white, that has some inscription on it. And that's the only tool and legitimate tool that they can ask God for answers. You remember there was one time before David escaped, he went to the city of Nob and he consulted with God. And the priest, which is Ahimelech, was able to consult with God using the Urim and the Tumim. Of all the priests that were massacred, there's one priest who got out and escaped and was carrying the most important possession or tool to consult with God, the Urim and the Tumim. Question is, was this guy just a lucky guy? Or was, was God in the picture? Did God make him escape? Could it be a mere coincidence that this guy was carrying the most important thing escape. Now, we know, the, we know the answer to that. This is definitely a providence because if this guy is to fall in the hands of Saul, then the priesthood will cease to exist and the Urim and the Tumim, the only way to consult with God, will be lost forever. So God made him possible to escape. But the news reached Saul that this guy went to Keilah, that's another town, where David was already there. But what does Saul believe in the issue of coincidence and providence? Let me go through verse 7 of Samuel 23. Now it was told that Saul, no, sorry, it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah. And Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. If there's anything about Saul, he doesn't believe in coincidence. This guy, Saul, believes in providence. He believes that God plays a role in the possible capture of David. But he doesn't think objectively because he doesn't think himself as a bad guy. 
he thinks of himself as the good guy, and that God is giving David into his hand. He thinks he's the, he's the really anointed king in Israel. See, he thought that the world revolves around him. And I think some Christians are like that. Some Christians believe that, some Christians believe in providence. Some Christians believe that uh, God is in charge. They believe that God is the one who's running the world. But they don't see the bigger picture and they believe that everything revolves around them. So there are Christians who get stuck in traffic who probably would experience a heavy downpour of rain and they needed a parking slot in the middle of nowhere and they would pray to God and they would expect God to part the Red Sea just to give them a miracle. I mean, there are Christians who think that the world revolves around them. Well, there's bad news and there's good news. The good news is that God answers prayers. Would you say amen to that? The bad news is that God doesn't always say yes. Say, for example, you have a favorite basketball team, uh, Miami Heat. Miami Heat is up against another favorite team of another friend in another state, say, uh, Golden State Warriors. And both of you, imagine this, both of you are Christians and both of you are praying for a win. Imagine the stress that it would put on God to decide who to answer. <laughs> That's difficult. See, I think we're, we're going to have a problem if we operate that way. Our concern shouldn't be who wins. Our concern should be how things contribute to the expansion of the kingdom of God. This is not about you. This is about the kingdom of God. Let's go back to the story of David. So David was in Keilah. What was he doing there? So apparently, while Saul was killing all the people in the town of Nob, the town of Keilah was being attacked by the Philistines. David was not the official king at this point, so he has no responsibility to come for rescue. But if he would wait for Saul, then the Philistines would get all the food supply and the town of Keilah will suffer. So he acted. He wasn't thinking of providence or coincidence. But if you're one of those residents in Keilah, if you're praying to God for rescue and you saw David coming, wouldn't you say, this is God's answer to my prayers? You see, in the same way, could it be possible that when we sensitively respond to God, we can sometimes be an answered prayer for someone else's prayer? Psalm chapter 23, verses 1 and 2. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. In other words, David understood God's providence. How do we know that? Because he inquired of the Lord. Why is he inquiring of the Lord? He already sees the big picture that he will be king someday, but he doesn't know the details. He inquired the Lord because he wants to make it clear what God really wants him to do. Because on one hand, he was running away from Saul. On the other hand, he was trying to secure and survive. And now there's a town that needed rescue. So he wants to know what God is telling him to do. This is where the, proverb, the book of Proverbs comes in. Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In some of your ways, acknowledge Him. No. 
In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. It's in all your ways, in all of your undertakings, in all your plans. See, a typical believer prays something like this. Lord, I have a plan. It's a good plan, and I need you to bless it. Amen. For your information, God has made plans a long time ago. God has already settled everything a long time ago. The question is, is your plan according to God's plan? Because if not, then you're in big trouble. See, part of believing in providence is understanding that God blesses our individual plans if they are according to His plans. Let me tell you this. When a prayer aligns with God's will, prayers are answered. This is where we get some, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But if our prayer does not align with God's will, our prayers are either declined, put on hold, or answered with special circumstances. Now, in this case, Israel asked God for a king against the will of God, but their prayers were answered, but with devastating consequences. The city of Nob, the massacre of that city, was one of those consequences. So I'm, I'm going to have to say, be careful what you pray for. Because God takes our prayers seriously. See, David knows God is in charge of everything that happens. He's got the big picture, but he was asking in the context of urgency and priority. What should he do? Should he rescue the town of Keilah? Now, David is operating on the basis of providence. He must be thinking... In chapter 22, there was about 400 people whom God led to him while he was hiding in the cave of Adullam. So he was thinking at this point, why did God lead these people to me? Is it for the reason so that I can rescue the town of Keilah? So he was thinking of providence, not coincidence. But he was thinking that any success, any victory of war depends ultimately on God. It doesn't depend on his skill or the number of his men, it depends on God. Why? Because before he fought Goliath, the giant, he said, the battle is the Lord's. Any success must be attributed to God. The battle is Lord's. So in other words, things happen because God is in control. Would you say amen to that? I know you're holding some thoughts on that. That's fine. Now, to some people, if they lose, they call it bad luck. If they win, they call it good luck. Another way of saying is that if the result was favorable to me, you say it's coincidence. But if the result was bad, it's an accident. You see, providence is understanding that things happen because God is in control. You have to see the events through the lens of providence. What that means is that experiencing the hand of God displayed in our everyday life is a clear case of providence. Providence is the lens through which we see how the world operates around us. Providence is when you see the, the hand of God regardless of the result. Providence is when Job told his wife after all the disaster, should we only receive good things from God and not evil? Providence is looking at every event, every inch and every detail that God is in control. Providence is when we can humbly pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
So David inquired the first time, and all God said was, go and save Keilah. But his men did not share his conviction. His men did not believe in providence. So he had to inquire the second time. And this time, God gave him a definitive answer in verse 4. And the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. Now, there's nothing more definitive than that. I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David's men went to Keilah, fought the Philistines, brought away their livestock, and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. What you might not be aware of is that the Philistines were warriors. Warriors. The 600 men who joined David in the cave of Adullam were people in need, people in sorrow, people who were discontent. They're not warriors. And yet, the Bible said, David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Here's something I want you to think about. Part of God's providence is allowing bad things to happen, not because God is cruel, but because He has a different reason. He has a different plan. Think about it. On one hand, God allowed the salvation of the town of Keilah. And yet, on the other hand, God allowed the massacre of the town of Nob. So people who might not be believing that this is providence would say they just ran out of luck. But if people believe that God is behind all things, they would say God is unfair. What is it really? What I think is that the only way to understand this is if we look through the lens of providence. And if we look through the lens of providence, we will say, we will say we will have to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 2 because there is the answer to the dilemma of whether God is unjust or just. 1 Samuel chapter 2 was the earlier story about Eli and his sons. We know the story. Eli and his sons were corrupt. And so God judged them. And that judgment says that time will come, God will cut off the household of Eli. So that means part of the judgment or the massacre of the city of Nob was God's judgment on the household of Eli. To make it simple, in other words, what we're saying is that the will of God for the city of, of Nob was different from the will of God to the city of Keilah. One hand, Keilah was saved. On the other hand, Nob was massacred to death because God has different plans for different people. God's plan for my life is different from yours. And so there's really no reason for comparison. There's no reason to be envy because, God, why are you blessing that guy? I'm more righteous than him. I pray more. I go to church more. I, I do this more. And why is it that you are blessing that guy more? God has different plans for all of us. God, God has different plans for me. The reason why I think we fail to see providentially is because we are either short-sighted or that we consciously refuse to acknowledge God, which means... Regardless of results, whatever happens to you and me, whether it's favorable or not, providence means things happen because God is in control. Now, sidebar on the prophets. Listen to God's accusation to Israel in the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. It says, you stumble day and night, and the false prophets stumble with you. He was talking to the priests. You have destroyed your own people. You have destroyed my people by failing to acknowledge me. 
Because you refuse to acknowledge me, I will reject you as my priest. Because you reject the law of your God, I will reject your descendants. What happened to the city of Nob is because they have rejected God. They failed to acknowledge God. Other translations say people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If you are a Baptist, for lack of wisdom. If you are Pentecostal, for lack of vision. It doesn't matter. The Net Bible, the New English Translation, say people are destroyed for failing to acknowledge God. And this is very important. What God is saying is that their very own priests and prophets, whose one job is to direct them to God, is to remind them of God, is failing their job, has refused to acknowledge God, and therefore God will destroy His people. If you read the whole Bible, the story of the Bible, why are the Israelites exiled in Babylon? It's because they failed to acknowledge God. God has given them a good land, the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. But in 586 BC, they were conquered by Babylon, were sent in exile, and they were slaves there for 70 years. Why? Because they failed to acknowledge God. Now, I think this is very clear. What does Jesus say about this one? Jesus said in Matthew 6.33 that our top priority is to seek the kingdom of God. The context of Matthew 6 is about prioritizing the kingdom of God. What should preoccupy my life is about making money. It's about finding uh, my love life or whatever. What should preoccupy my life? Matthew chapter 6.33 says about seeking the kingdom of God. But before 33, there's, there's a prayer in, in verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's about finding and seeking the will of God in our lives. And I'm not saying for a second that if we look through the lens of providence that we are exempt from crisis. No, 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 we're not. We're not exempt from crisis. As Christians, we're not exempt from troubles. In fact, we might have to Expect troubles and crisis. But crisis should not lead us to hopelessness. Crisis should not lead us to despair. Crisis should not make you walk away from God because you feel that God doesn't care about you. In fact, the only way to understand crisis is to look through the providence, the lens of providence, and see that everything happens because God is in control. See, providence is the antidote to worry. Providence is the antidote to fear. Providence is the antidote to unbelief. Providence makes us see that even in crisis, things happen because God is in control. Now, David, David's crisis did not end in Keilah because the news reached Saul that David was in Keilah. So Saul had to pursue David. I mean, you've got to give it to this guy. Saul was relentless. But he was also looking at the crisis providentially. He said, God has given him into my hands. Now, he thinks the world revolves around him. And so, in the mind of Saul, David was checkmate. He's trapped in there, in the city of Keilah. The next thing we know, David summoned the priest, Abiathar, who, who escaped from the city of Nob, who was carrying the Urim and the Thummim. What this means is that I mean, this was an opportunity for Saul to catch and capture David. But because God made Abiathar escape from the massacre, 
he was able to give, to inquire of the Lord for David. Could it be a coincidence? I don't think so. Could it be a, a, an accident? I don't think so. I think God is, is putting things in place. It's like, like a game of chess. God is putting things in place so that when the need arises, David will have a way to consult with God. So David consulted with God in verse 11. This was his question to God. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. The Lord said, he will come down. And David said, will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men in the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Why, why did David have to ask God for this information? Because the last time he was in the city of Nob, when he left, Saul massacred the whole town. So he was afraid that if Saul comes to the city of Keilah, he will also massacre the whole town of Keilah. I mean, the whole town of Keilah, of course, will surrender him. They would rather survive than play the hero. They would rather give up David. So David had to flee. But David understood that providence doesn't mean people are not free to make their bad decisions. So he decided to leave. The reason I think that David was able to make this hard decision was because God led this one priest to escape from the city of Nob to Keilah. If not for this priest, David would have been in a very difficult situation. Again, the question is, is this providence or coincidence? We actually don't have to guess it because the narrator of the story gives the answer in verse 14. Look at verse 14. It says, And David remained in strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day. I mean, this guy is relentless. And yet, but God did not give him into his hand. That's the definitive reason why David escapes continually. Because God did not give him into his hand. See, the last phrase should be the lens how we should understand providence. Providence is the steady hand of God in our lives. There's never a chance, there's never a time when the hand of God is not actively in control. And you know what's interesting in this chapter is that the word hand was used eight times. And every time the word hand was used, it's either the hand of David, the hand of Saul, or the hand of God, which makes you think of who's really in control. If it's the hand of God, then definitely God is in control. Luck has nothing to do with it. And the reason why David continues to escape is not because he's got too much luck in his pockets. It's because God allows it, period. Listen to me. David's security lies in the hands of God. Our security lies in the hands of God. The reason why you can wake up in the morning and sleep at night is because your security lies in the hands of God. The reason why you can drive your car, go somewhere, and come back safely is because your security lies in the hands of God. The reason why we can go on vacation and enjoy life is because our security lies in the hands of God. The reason why we survived the pandemic is because our security lies in the hands of God. There will never be a time when the hand of God is not with us. Think about it. How is it possible 
that it took Saul the hardest to find David. And yet for Jonathan, his son, it was like a walk in the park. Look at me. Look with me at verse 15. So Saul was trying to find David, but it says, David saw that Saul had come to seek out his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, the son of Saul, rose and went to David at Horesh, strengthened his hand in God. As if, you know, it was too, so easy. How is it that for Saul it was hard? And for Jonathan, it was like he knows where he's going. He knows where to find David. And then he said, do not fear, for the hand of my hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. I mean, it's the definitive shall, not will. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. See, the reason why Saul could not find David is because God's hand was protecting David. The only reason why David escapes several times, multiple times, is because of God's hand. Look, look closely how this passage explains the concept of hand for us. Jonathan said, do not fear for the hand of my father shall not find you. In other words, what the Bible is saying is that Saul, although he's king, he has all the tools, he has all the necessary abilities to find David, he is not in charge. Evil is not in charge of the world. Chaos is not in charge of the world. The politicians are not in charge of the world. God is in charge of the world. Can I hear an amen to that? The security or demise of David does not depend on Saul. Instead, the narrator said, Jonathan strengthened David's, David's hand in God. If you have a Bible, underline that, in God. Which means our security depends on God. If there's anything I can understand from this passage is that no matter how secure we are, we will always worry. We are not immune not to worry. And David, while he was escaping Saul, is probably having bouts of worries. So God has to send someone to remind him, like Jonathan, that his life is in God's hand. Jonathan was God's way of reminding David that his ultimate security rests in the hands of God. Have you ever had a friend, someone come to you and remind you of that, that your security lies in God? I think we have to do that. Remind each other once in a while that our security lies in God because we are not immune to worries. Now, I don't know what's going through with you. You may be putting up a smile. You may be trying to appear strong, but each of us has his own journey. We all have our crosses to bear. But the truth doesn't change according to our circumstances. God doesn't change according to our circumstances. The truth is, that whatever happens, happens because God remains in control. See, the crisis never stops for David. So here comes the Ziphites. The Ziphites are a group of people from the town of Ziph. That's why they're called Ziphites. And they came to Saul to volunteer the information because they know where David was hiding. So David is caught. Now what's interesting here is how Saul responded to the Ziphites. He said in verse 21, And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have compassion on me. <laughs> in other translations, because you have pity on me. But the word compassion is the same word that Saul used back in chapter 15. Remember the story when God commanded Saul to bring judgment on the group of Amalekites. 
God said, you know, kill all the Amalekites. And Saul had his own decision. He decided to disobey God. He failed to follow God. And the word for spared and compassion is the same in Hebrew. Saul did not kill or spared or had compassion on the king of Amalekites. His name is Agag or Agag. The word again for spared, compassion, pity, is the same word in Hebrew, compassion. Why did Saul spare Agag? It's not because he's kind, but because he sees Agag as his trophy, the symbol of his victory. But remember, Saul was king, but he's not in charge. God is king, and Saul is a deputy. He's an enforcer of God's will. He's supposed to execute God's will, and he did not. And so for this reason, God discharged Saul from being king. God chose a new king. His name is David. Because this new king has proven himself to be more obedient to God's will. We have another phrase for that, a man after God's own heart. Someone who obeys the will of God, a man after God's own heart. Somebody who knows the heartbeat of God, a man after God's own heart. Saul is not, but Saul wouldn't let go. And he's, right now, he's in opposition to God's will. The next passage tells us that Saul is so determined to kill David and that there's one time that there were on both, in both places at the same time. 1 Samuel 23, verse 26. It says, Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. Now, if you are in a movie, this is sort of the, the most intense part of the movie, where every, you know, Saul is trying to catch up on David. And it says, as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Now, I want you to imagine this. Huge mountain. David was and his men, 600, were on one side of the mountain. Saul and maybe thousands were on the other side of the mountain. It, it's a matter of minutes or hours that they will catch up on each other. And suddenly, as Saul is catching up on David, a messenger came that halted, interrupted, is moving forward. And he said, come. Stop what you're doing and rescue the people from the Philistines. What are the odds? What are the odds that this messenger will come in the nick of time? Coincidence or providence? I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in providence. Did God overlook this detail? I don't think so. I think God was right on the dot. If God intends to rescue, He will not be early, He will not be late, He will be on the dot. I'm not angry. I'm just saying God is on the dot. If God's will is to intervene, he will not be early. He will not be late. God will be on the dot. He will be right on time, but not our time, his time. I think many times we get frustrated because, one, we don't see the big picture or we don't see the future. And second, because we don't know exactly how God will intervene in our circumstances. And we get frustrated because we expect God to answer in our own timetable. Looking through the lens of providence is believing 
that God executes His plans on schedule. Not your schedule, not my schedule, but God's schedule. Not my timetable, but God's timetable. The part of growing in faith is learning to submit to God's will. But what does it mean? Part of growing in faith is learning this very important detail. I'm going to say it to you. Listen. The moment we decide to become a disciple of Jesus is the moment we started living for the kingdom of God. We're not living for yourself or for myself or for others. We're living for the kingdom of God, for Jesus. Therefore, my job or your job, our job, is to make sure that we live for the kingdom, we work for the kingdom, to do everything we can possible in order to make God's will happen on earth as it is in heaven. When I give my life to Jesus, that means I'm already living my life for him. The old has gone, the new has come. I'm a member of God's kingdom. The same thing when you come here in the States. When you give up your former citizenship, you become a member of this country. You're living for this country, not for the other country. Living for the kingdom of God is the same thing. You're forsaking the other life and pursuing the new life in God. That means your only goal is to make it possible for the kingdom of God, for God's will to happen on earth as it is in heaven. Part of growing in faith is not just believing that all things happen because God is in control. Part of growing in faith is learning to pray with all humility like how Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for teaching us today. But we also, I also want to say sorry for sometimes we live in a bubble and we think that the world revolves around us. And all our prayer requests is all about us, my desire, my plans, my future. Father, would you forgive us? Would you realign our understanding of your kingdom? Would you make us see and focus that this is all about your kingdom, and that we are members of your kingdom, and that our job is to really work out your will like in heaven here on earth? Allow us to see, Father, your ultimate plan so that we can pray according to your plan, so that we can work according to your work, so that we can desire according to your desire. And ultimately, we can be a man after God's own heart. Bless us today. In Jesus' name.